Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Craig Quatermain, who is a journalist and a comedian. I spoke with him in a cafe in Western Australia. We had a lovely chat about everything from why he is not pro the acknowledgement of country announcement at the beginning of comedy shows to uh, expressing and controlling his rage on stage is a really interesting chat. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Before I get straight into it, I'll do a few plugs. My new podcast with the ABC, which is called Troll Play, uh, is up and out. It's coming out once a week. There are so far three episodes up. I think we had a six or eight episode season. So uh, go find that online. It's called Troll Play. It's at the ABC. It's dealing with weird internet interactions, wild internet interactions where people have lost perspective. It is funny and silly and all of the things that this podcast might not be. I really enjoyed doing it. Sammy Shah and Cal Wilson, who did it with me, are both delightful to listen to. So go over and listen to that. If you want to, it's on the ABC website or if you Google it and my name, the word troll, play, and then Alice Fraser, uh, you will find that probably or check it out on my Twitter at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E. I am currently $5 below my first goal on Patreon, which is where I will start to provide video content. That's very exciting for me. And uh, for any of you who are interested in that, it's a little daunting as well. I'm I'm not... The reason that I put that as my first goal is because I'm not always very comfortable with uh, my face on camera. So we will uh, explore that turf together. I'm now finishing up my run in Australia. I have two more nights in Perth of Ethos and then I will be heading over to uh, the UK to begin my run there. So send me emails, alicerfraser at gmail.com. I'll start putting up my London gigs as I go and uh, you can otherwise just listen to the podcast, rate and review, do all of that kind of thing. Uh, Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. It means a huge amount to me uh, and I am very happy. I'm very happy. I have a blister on my foot, but I am otherwise extremely happy. That's all I have to say for ta- for today. For today. Oh, I am also tired, uh, in case you can't tell by my... It's been a long couple of days travelling from Sydney to Perth and I was doing some stuff for the news and I was finishing up my final takes, little bits and pieces for the trilogy, which we are now editing together. It'll come out in a, a few months um, or a month, I don't know. Whenever we're finished editing it, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist about that particular piece of work because it meant a lot to me. And uh, I will be obviously plugging it wildly here and on all of my platforms. So don't even bother keeping an ear out for it. It'll come to your ears, I promise. That's it for me today. Enjoy listening to my conversation with the lovely, delightful Craig Quatermain. drinking uh my name's craig quartermain i'm a comedian from perth and i'm drinking a double espresso oh very good kind of a tea oh uh peppermint if i ever do get the time to have a a cup of tea but um yeah i I don't know it's nice and refreshing i guess a a nice peppermint tea nice peppermint tea i'm I'm always on green tea, but occasionally I'll, I'll expand out to an oolong. I think there's so many different kinds of green tea. Oh, but, I had uh, no concept of how many different kinds of tea there were until I went and worked in an ABC office for, you know, for, <laughs> for the past past year, in, in, uh, just under a year that I'd um, been over, been away and just being in a different office environment. Yeah. No idea. I had no idea there was this many different kinds of tea and for moods and for what they can do and stuff like that. I. Yeah. Tea is an amazing thing. I am a big believer in tea. I'm, I'll get you into it more. Uh, what What have you been wrestling with recently, Craig? Oh wow, that's a bro- so. I have just finished uh, my tenure with the ABC in Sydney. I'm originally from Perth, so the ABC is our national broadcaster this, here in Australia. Sorry, I, I just have to. Uh, yeah take a moment to realize how much bigger your fan base is and followers are <laughs> so, my, my bad um yeah so been working for the public broadcaster on my first um foray into television comedy uh-huh and you know steep learning curve like i i thought i spoke white until i went in to these offices and i realized you know they don't they don't discuss stuff they unpack it 
You know what I mean? There's, there's all those, all these little subtle things that I wasn't prepared for. Um, so it was a steep learning curve. And uh, what I'm wrestling with right now is the transition back to my hometown because I've been living away from my wife for the last six months. Whoa. Which, you know, has its difficulties, but remarkably easier to cheat on her. <laughs> you know, uh, no, yeah. that's a joke. Uh, just deflecting, just deflecting. <laughs> When you say, I thought I spoke white, let's <laughs> unpack that, shall we? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we, are, we are in a pretty affluent suburb of uh, Perth in Western Australia. And I am from a little country town called Kununurra, which is 4,000 kilometres north of Perth in Western Australia. It's basically closer to Darwin, but it's st- still in the, an opposite state. Like, it's a long way away. It's bush. And that's where I'm from, um, an Indigenous Australian, which has so much great baggage that yeah. we can unpack later. But um, yeah, I just we're, sit- we're sitting in this uh, lovely little um, intersection of a very quiet suburb, a whole bunch of houses that have, uh, they're all quaint and ridiculously expensive. And um, yeah, Al- Alice, you've uh, yeah, allowed me to come into your amazing podcast to talk about <laughs> it. Yeah, I've allowed you to come into this amazing suburb, which you're... You told me it was here. Uh, I mean, this is a very, it's a very hipster cafe for Perth. There is a bicycle, which is like a sort of a penny farthing pot plant stand, with some beautiful succulents on it. it it's a deconstructed fixed wheel racer that they've turned into a. I don't even know what. what <laughs> yeah. Even I feel like I'm not white enough for this cafe. <laughs> I can play it up. Don't get me wrong. I, I like to. This is like a safari for me, going <laughs> going in here. But uh, yeah, I mean, then there are people who probably genuinely go on safaris where I live. Like I'm back. I'm back in Perth, and the and the punchline I'm noticing for quite a few jokes. It, it's funny when people make jokes about where I park my car, and where I walk my dogs. Like you know, Midland is a suburb. Uh, in the eastern suburbs of Perth and it's the biggest density population of Noongar which is my tribe of people in the world and after living in Sydney for the last six months I've realised how black my suburb is like I'm walking around um, you know I'm not a huge comic I'm doing alright been on TV a few times over here and I'm walking around yesterday morning for the first time in my local suburb went and got a coffee went to the bakery and people are nodding at me like you know giving the old chin up like what's up how you doing and I got a little bit, you know, felt nice, felt good. Then I just realized, oh, no, it's just other black fellas. Like, they just, <laughs> that's all it was. It was just, you know, um, just nodding and saying hello. And it was a nice little wake-up call that I was back in my hood. Yeah, return to return to a sort of a more community vibe. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, just realizing, it's, it's another thing I'm struggling with is just remembering how small Perth is. And it's daunting, man, trying to, the, the idea of trying to, pursue or maintain a sorry trying to pursue or maintain a comedy career yeah out of Perth is terrifying the amount of well on one hand the gigs are paid this is a true which can't be said for all gigs in Melbourne or Sydney or London or anywhere else in the world Um, Perth gigs do tend to pay and pay well for Australia but the price you pay for that is you're not going anywhere yeah, using it as a launch pad. I mean, uh, Pete Rosethorn is a pretty prominent comedian, um, originally from the Eastern States, who lives here. You know, he's, he's here for his wife, but he's, he's always working, keeping busy. I mean, yeah, it, I'm sure it can be done using Perth as a base, but yeah, why do I have to be the first to try? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's, that is fair. And so that's what you're wrestling with, this sense of having been at this national broadcaster being a little bit out of out of water fish out of water there or feeling that way which you didn't expect to feel um no you know what's silly about this whole situation is i knew what i was getting into when i went to work on this television show like uh the it was pitched to me as being something like the daily show Mm. you know john stewart or slash uh, trevor noah's daily show which sounded great because i'm a journalist and a comic and I thought this is right up my alley I'm going to be able to do this very easily get there and it's it's. Not, I mean I didn't know what theatre sports were until I got into this job I had no idea there was any sort of concept of this sort of thing and it yeah being a fish out of water yeah when Ooh. you say I, I mean you say that like it's a natural thing that, I, that people should know that there was a theatre sports vibe uh, 
What do you mean you didn't know what theatre sports was? It was a theatre sports... I didn't know it existed. And yes. I, didn't, I didn't even realise how many people do it. I didn't realise and how, how, many, how much of it is influencing Australian... Like, I learnt a lot about Australian comedy in television. Mm. You know, how narrow the scope is and how big an influence wealthy, upper-middle-class Sydney University students are. It's really such a th- such a tiny paradigm, mm. and I am um, I couldn't be any further from it. Yeah. So yeah, playing catch up. Was so what was your first encounter with that? With realizing that uh, your yeah. idea of what was going to happen was I mean you don't have to name names or be specific. <laughs> I'm just trying to get a sort of a in Australia picture. it's not going to be that hard to name. <laughs> like there's very <laughs> few names. I think I've already out of myself quite um, quite extensively. But, um, so you walked in thinking it was going to be one thing. You thought it's going to be like uh, I, journalism, I w- or you're going to be dealing with the stories I, of the day. Or I, I think I went in what hoping. Did you expect? I think I went in hoping that it would be hard. Like we would take hard news and really dark jokes off it. But and that's what I, I loved about the Daily Show was that people would get their information from them because there was no reason for these guys to lie. Mm-hmm. You know, and the best, darkest comedy comes from making funs of actual facts. Like John Oliver actually does really hard news. And if you look at his jokes, I mean, Sammy Shah, a good friend of ours, Sammy Shah actually pointed out to me, the jokes on John Oliver aren't that good. <laughs> they really aren't. They're not that good Good at, as far as comedy goes. They're not that well written, but... I won't hear a word against John Oliver because no, 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 the bugle is the reason why I get to guest host it. But <laughs> Well, it's not a word against him at all. It's more that it is a simple fact that they come out with all this great information and shock you and then they punctuate it, release the pressure with a little, you know, with a dick joke. Yeah. And it's, yeah. A simple, it's a simple method, but God, it works and they do it so well. The way I think about it with my shows, because often I'll deal with quite intense topics, mm. is yes, you're you bouncing people off the lowest common denominator. So in order to get someone, if you think of those of difficult topics as elevated, whether it's quantum physics or massacres in Syria, quite a good way to get people to come with you to that place is to bounce them off the lowest common denominator, like a bouncy ball. So you, you sure. drop them on a dick joke or a poo joke or whatever it is and then they'll come with you somewhere else because you've sort of fooled them into thinking it's not that intimidating by yeah, absolutely. casting it in a sort of a, a low light. No, I, and pretty much all I ever really wanted to try and do was that. I mean, my stand-up is... I guess 70% making you feel awkward and then letting you enjoy it at the end. Like that's, <laughs> and I've got a lot to work with as an Indigenous Australian yeah. in Australia. Certainly in Australia. Do you find that translated overseas? Yeah, brilliantly. I mean, it's a bit, and I don't want to do too much material, but it's when I, I try to explain to people why my stuff translates so much better, it's because I have way more in common with other black and brown people around the world. Mm. Um, especially in countries that are more multicultural than Australia. And it's going to translate a lot better. There's a lot more relatable topics there. Um, and, uh, and I feel safer doing it over there. I mean, Melbourne was particularly difficult for me. Uh, the Melbourne Comedy Festival. I mean, they, they have this thing called a welcome to country, which is this acknowledgement. It's, I, I really have an issue with it as a concept. So basically to explain to people that have never heard of it, it tends to be somebody makes a presentation at the start of any sort of um, show or event and that it's an acknowledgement of Indigenous peoples of this country. So it usually starts out with um, somebody standing up and saying, I would like to acknowledge past, future, present, the people of this country, past, yeah. It, it, it's they say we are on the land of the, whatever the yeah. local area is. The yeah, and see, Australia's problem people is... People and, you know, we like to acknowledge and pay respects to elders past, present and future. That tends to be the form of it. Yeah. We, we, the problem like with a, Australia is that we don't do subtle. We don't do nuance. We're like, it's like a prayer against racism. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> for me, for in Melbourne, what it felt like was... Ladies and gentlemen, we'd just like to give you a brief reminder of all the 250 years worth of horrible shit that has happened in this country. Who's ready for some comedy? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it felt like when I would come on stage. And it, it just so many puckered, tense assholes. And it wasn't fun. Um, this, the, that British 
I hate the way it's claimed that the British know how to laugh at themselves. It's just, okay, sure, they, maybe they've had more practice at it and they've been working at it for a lot longer. Whereas Australia, we, we have such an issue with just not addressing stuff and smothering it and hiding it and not, and not talking about it. The, the comedy is so safe here. This, and the popular stuff is so safe here and anyone that tries it differently is you know they have to go to they have to go to Europe to to, to you know to get this stuff out I mean you you know yourself how hard it is for you to address you you hit some pretty hard topics yeah and you I know, try to yeah and it, 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 it's crippling to think that you gotta go to another country to talk and you were brought up here and this is where all your influence comes from but you can't talk about it here at least you know the best part, I, I do this little thing where I, I feel like a lot of my humor is basically just trying to provoke people to tell me to fuck off back where I came from. <laughs> so all, all I have to do is take a backward step and I'm like, yep, yeah, cool, done, I'm here. Like that, that's a huge advantage that I have, but also I don't want to be a crutch. So we were talking about uh, well, welcome to country as a thing. Yes. Uh, and then uh, we turned the microphones off, and I stole some of your smoothie and acknowledged that it was yours. Uh, <laughs> it's a good smoothie. <laughs> you're not making good use of it. What were those? It was mine first. Some, Sorry. <laughs> there's some really odd arguments that the great movement of the Enlightenment was the idea that the truth could be found through scientific discovery, and yet people took that to mean that having found a truth that was the only one uh, <laughs> um, I as far as what colonists argue it, I don't know I don't know if that colonist actually met, had an argument I think it was more the, the, the people that got to uh, miss, all, miss all the hardship and sit back and enjoy all the like, the weirdest argument I always hear is like you just said, we weren't doing anything with this country. Yeah, which is bananas. Well, yeah, it's all about perspective too. We we also like you could argue we weren't doing anything with it, but then you could also argue there was no salinity, there was no um, sludge clogging up all the freshwater. And the 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 biggest um, freshwater river in this country now is having salinity issues mm. because of all the cattle we've grazed across this country and stuff like that. There are all these environmental issues coming up. Well, I could be, this could be wrong because I'm thinking back to sort of high school reading, but there was quite a lot of land management in, involved in being part of a, mm. a nation in Australia that your turf or your area, you did actually do quite a lot of stuff subtly, but not. Yeah, no, it was, um, it wasn't an accident that everything was pristine when the Europeans got here. Like, there was no accident, but it's all about perspective. I mean, if you value um, massive cities and concrete buildings and stuff like that, then, yeah, there was nothing going on. But, you know, to there's this attitude of Australia, oh, we, oh, we're just shearers who, who had a go. Like, that's the culture. That's the the belief in what this uh, Australian culture is, which, oh, you know, we're just larrikins. We're just making the most of what we had, mate. There was no water. We, didn't, we made water. All that sort of silliness. I mean, it was actually the last thing I wrote down last night before I went to bed. You ever do that thing before you go to sleep? And you, yes. You Sometimes have I have to not keep a book beside my bed because I just will keep, you know, that moment of fertility just between when you're awake and when you're asleep. Absolutely. Okay. So this is probably not as poignant. I can stay up for four hours drifting off and, oh, wait a minute, that's a great idea. So sometimes uh, I have to put a book in my book in the other room. I wish. I wish. But I mean, there are, there's a great Mitch Hedberg line is like, if his book's too far away, I have to convince myself what I thought of wasn't that funny, that sort of <laughs> thing. But uh, this probably isn't that funny, but I was just... It will It be. just kind of me as we were talking about it. But basically, the narrative in Australia is telling people to adopt Australian culture. Okay? So, we're telling Sudanese people, Indigenous people, all these people, telling people to drop cultures that were forged, right, over thousands of years and adopt the Australian culture comparatively, right? Aussie culture... After 200 years, it's not a culture. It's just a series of bad habits. <laughs> just comparatively. just Laying in bed and I was thinking about that. I never wanted to become a comic that just did race. Mm. But unfortunately, I'm in this, not niche, but it just... It, right now, everything I'm thinking about is, is based around that. Like, every time I try to get away from it. Like I had this bit about explaining racial slurs here in Australia. Mm. 
uh, explaining that bung is probably the worst racial slur for Aboriginal Australians. It's the worst one. Is it a... The way I tend to categorise racial slurs is like whether they're annoying, hurtful or killing words. That's a killing word. Bung bung is definitely the killing word. So if somebody said that to you with disdain in their voice, you would be moved to violence. Uh, Against all my better judgement, probably. Yeah. Okay. And it's derived from the sound you make when you hit us with your car. So that's where the sound comes from. Really? Yes. And guess which state it originated in? Where? Western Australia. Oh, God. So... That's its origins, right? And just as I try to get away from that, that's an old bit. That's an old story that I used to use to, to start a bit. And just as I think I'm getting away from it, literally this weekend, the vision of a police car hitting an 18-year-old kid rather than pulling him up and questioning him over some behavior, this vision of him them hitting him with the front of their car, knocking him down, putting him into a seizure and then arresting him rather than helping him. Uh, and so uh, in 2018, I'm kind of like, ah, oh, now nah, cool, I can move away from this stuff. And then something like that comes with the news. And then, it, so yeah, I don't know. It, maybe I should stop being paranoid about doing it. I don't know. I mean, I don't think you should be paranoid about doing any particular material or subject. I think it depends on... It depends on your attitude to conveying the truth. So you can use truth as a cudgel and then people will cringe away from it or you can figure out a way to get in under their defences. This is true. I guess, um, yeah, fear of being a one-trick pony. I mean, I'm waiting for you to drop that whole woman thing you keep doing. God, when are you going to let that rest? Yeah, I I struggle with that in my new show a little bit. I I ended up doing a big section in the middle about... um, about sexual harassment that I had not intended to do. So half of the section is me just struggling against doing it. But it's ended up being uh, adding quite a lot to the bit because I've just... There's a whole five minutes where I say what's good about sexual harassment. <laughs> oh, God, I can't wait to see it. I'm going to try and make sure I see it before you go. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's a fun show, although last night was not my best work. It was one of those, one of those nights where... You can't blame the audience. I was oh, up wow. very okay. early in the, in the morning and then I came over here. I caught the flight over and then it was a real um, rush to get to my tech run. I got in, I spoke to my tech, I said, these are the cues. And he went, oh, no, I can't do that. Um, so I had to figure out how to cue it myself from the stage, which I've done before, but not... Uh, it's, it's it's complicated to explain, but no, I get the that. way he wanted me to do it was basically to do it all, um, and then it just it was just that and me kind of wrestling with that, and then all of a sudden it was showtime, and so I came on stage in that sort of slightly on the back foot mode. I don't um, I don't like this whole how you can have such a disparity between texts. Yeah, like the the last two I had before my most recent one. So the last three texts, the two previously. Or amazing. Onto it, nothing was an issue. And I don't have that complicated a show at all. I have lights and music played at a certain time when I want it to be played. That's it. Nothing as complicated as yours. Well, not even that complicated, but just as... as um, Intensive. In, in te- yeah, as important as well. And yeah, just the disparity between what you can get with the tech. It's essentially, do you have this this amazing genius or, or a chicken? Yes, my, I think my, I've never done a show with any tech that I didn't run myself. Um, I've always been the person who walked in and went, oh, it's just lights and house music, turn the lights on, turn the lights off, and any other cues I've run from the computer on the stage. Uh, and this is my first one with, you know, this robot and there's techs and there's light, there's light elements, there's sound elements, and, and I came in quite apprehensive, and then my Melbourne tech was astonishing. Brendan Jelly, if you're in Melbourne... Uh, hire him he's very good because uh, he just made it easy for me and he took on more and more and more of of the work from me I was doing a lot from a stage and then he took it all on and and then he made it better and all without me asking him to he was just great gotta love that and then because he's my first experience with a tech intensive show I thought oh that's what you can expect from techs This is amazing. This is what they're all like. Why haven't I been using text for years? And then I moved to the next uh, city and realized that, oh no, he's an extraordinarily good 
uh, technician and artist and he's got the comic timing and all of that, all of those things that you need for a tech in a, in a comedy show. And so now I kind of need to go back to square one in terms of how I'm going to manage all of the tech side of things. Right. Because um, in Adelaide it wasn't relevant. I had a I had live robot readings. So rather than having the robot programmed, because the robot it runs to a script, but it has a couple of different things that it can say in different situations and it can go down different potential paths for the show uh, which is fine if you've got a live performer and it's fine if you've got a tech who's all over it because then he can read the room and if you don't leave your laptop in the back of a car yes if you don't (laughs) leave your laptop in the back of a car so yes I learned uh, very quickly that I need to learn very quickly I need to do a a bunch of rewriting before tonight I think right well I appreciate you taking the time out of your rewriting no I'm thinking also of dumping the song okay it's interesting because it's my it's my um, I have a song that's a cover in the show and it's uh, I've always thought that was very lazy writing I, I do love it though when towards the end you just start when you just start wigging out you just start screaming I love it because it's so it's not in your character at all to do it and it just I, I don't even have to see it and I'm backstage dying listening to it but yeah, yeah I think it's fun but I think in order to like deal with my uh, guilt about using a cover rather than writing my own music it would need to be maybe twice as good as it is that's really harsh but I appreciate that yeah well we'll see we'll see Uh, if you come to see Ethos uh, let me know if I'm still doing the song and tell me you're disappointed in me (laughs) (laughs) isn't it funny that um, I mean how paranoid are you that your audience will come and see the same material twice um I don't tend to do the same material across shows. Mm. I do tell my people who see an early version of shows that I'm running in previews that they can come to later versions for free because they're in those very early stages they're doing as much for you as you are for them. You know, They're telling you what works and what doesn't and in return they're getting a not necessarily the best version of a show. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, come later, bring a friend um, when it's good and then you have the satisfaction of having been part of building it. Um, Usually there's maybe one or two lines, I would say, that cross between shows Uh, and they tend to be the audience management lines. Cool. I mean, yeah, because I'm just in that period now where I want to be a shit-hot club comic as well as have a good show sort of thing and... Doubling up on material, stretching stuff that kills in clubs and stuff like you're like, oh, that works really well. And pretty much, and then that just feels lazy and don't want to double up. But one thing I have noticed though, since I'm um, leaving the show, the TV show that I was working on, my writing's gotten so much better. I don't have the um, the overbearing sort of uh, the, the, the overbearing eye of um, the public broadcaster. Oh, you can't talk like this, you can't write like that. And just you don't realize what a big restriction it is until you're out from under it. But, um, yeah, again, just what do I want to talk about? What do you want to talk about? So we're putting race aside. Unless you want to do your bit about how you don't like the acknowledgement of country. (laughs) Which is, you know, very ungrateful of you. (laughs) It just feels so forced. Yeah, it It is. It feels so forced. It's the guy who cheated on his wife buying her flowers she doesn't like. He's like, yeah, but I'm saying sorry. Yeah, you selfish bitch. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's exactly what it's like. Well, no, I mean, my, I, I just wish in Australia, like, and it is a bit, it's something I've done on TV, but I just, I like in New Zealand how Maori culture is a part of the nuance, like subtly, ever so subtly. There's things like um, the national greeting is in Maori language, whereas here it's g'day, it's mm. g'day. I don't like it, but um, you know, if we did something real subtle, like incorporating languages and names, like the amount of people you point out to them that their street name's actually an indigenous word, they might freak out. Mm. All that sort of stuff. I think I just wish it was more ingrained culturally. Yeah. More subtly. It is. It is something. It is. It's a thing that I think we should do more of. My primary school was big on it, but my I went to a weird experimental languages school. Of course, you did. So there was a lot of, you know, a, a lot of um, multiculturalism, for want of a better word. It was just seen as one of the, one of the cultures that we learned about. Mm. And it wasn't until I got to high school that I realised how much it's kind of 
separated and segregated. I, I think technically it's probably more difficult because you had so many different languages in different areas, mm. so you couldn't have it kind of be a national... Well, I, I mean, I can't. I mean, I'm 36. I'm quite far removed now from high school and where it was then, but I, I went and visited some of my nieces in their primary school and realising everyone's getting taught First Nation languages, you know, in kindergarten and primary school in Balga and all these other, like, lower socioeconomic places. That's so great. So it's not, not in posh schools, it's, um, you know... In the, in the poorer schools and the poor areas so it's definitely changing but um, yeah it's going to take a while but I, and the, when I think about it what it was like for my parents it's exponentially better way better um, so you know I just sit around and complain about how bad things are actually it's not even that I was going to say or just appreciate what is changing but you got to you got to keep up the keep up the anger I guess I mean, that's fucking that is one thing I've definitely noticed is god I'm, last night I just did a five minute spot and I realised how much angrier I am just totally like I smile the whole time but my stand up's quite aggressive yeah didn't realise it why do you think that is do, is it that you feel safer in your skills and more confident that you can be angry or is there just anger in your personal life that you're bringing to stage or I, both I think it's personal I yeah. think I can't hide it and um you know, I, I know for a fact. I, I always make sure I'm clean shaven on sh- on stage, so my smile is really quite obvious. And I, I get away with a lot more if I smile at the end of it. But I am quite aggressive um, on stage in my delivery. Plus, I know if you say it with authority, you know things have more impact. It's funny though when I ask, when I try to do crowd work, mm. legit. I I actually asked my audience in Sydney who were amazing and they were lovely and everyone was with it. But when I asked the lady her name, she didn't answer for a few seconds. I said, well, hang on, are you scared of me? And there like four women in the crowd looking at me and they went, yep. <laughs> they just nodded and said they were actually scared. See, that's fascinating that you feel like that. Like I shy away from authority on stage, particularly in Australia, um, because of the way that I come across. Australia does have that poor, tall poppy syndrome. Really? You think you shy away from authority? I always kind of take you... You're in charge... Like, it feels like you're in charge on stage. Yes. I, I do a combination of uh, physical alpha male body language and then always questioning, always doubting, always asking questions. So always, I'm, oh, really? I'm not sure. Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's this. I mean, less so in club sets. But, yeah, really, I do. Because yeah. I don't want people to feel... I do, okay, the two worst things that can happen on stage is that people feel sorry for me, or people think that I'm, people think that I think that I'm better than them, right? Even though I clearly am. That's, see, now that's interesting. <laughs> I would never for a second worry that anyone in the crowd thinks that I think I'm better than them. Yeah, especially in which Australia. is why I brought it up because you've got the ah. the sort of that the. Australian audience and when we're talking about the Australian audience hashtag not all Australian audiences but there's a particular like a club crowd they don't know you so you have to they wear their their jumpers with the sleeves over the shoulders they don't actually wear the jumpers those sort of people yeah there's a safe temperature between which you can fluctuate and I always worry about peeking out and you always worry about dipping below you're worried that they'll dismiss you Mm. yeah it's that's Really interesting. And I, I'm worried I, they'll resent me. Um, I don't know. My part of, I guess I'm worried a lot of the time that they'll just realise halfway through my set, go, hey, we don't actually have to listen to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess that's my biggest fear because if they want to be, there's no reason for them to care or know about any of the topics I'm talking about or trying to talk about. There's no reason for them to care. You could live so blissfully ignorant in Australia mm. and have a great life. And um, Look at it this way. The trappings of the stage, the semiotics of the stage, the symbols of being on stage, the lights, the stage, the microphone, never do a gig without a microphone, never do a gig without lights. All of those things already speak your power for you. This is true. You, being on stage is, is, is being the white man in the room. <laughs> You've already got that. And from there, you don't need to necessarily assert your authority. Yeah, well, I no, hope I'm not. Tr- I hope that I'm not trying to do it. Here's me is... worrying about sounding patronising, telling you what to do. <laughs> no, no, I appreciate it, but it's a, it's an odd perspective because, yeah, I don't. I, this is going to sound so lame, but I mean, I, I, I somebody asked me to kind of 
summarize my aspirations and all I as quickly as possible first thing I thought of I, I want to be Chappelle I want that's where I want to be I want to be as articulate as if not influential but I want to be as imp- impactful as Chappelle and no one would ever say he's aggressive mm. at all um, and so I'm worried that if I'm coming across aggressive does that mean I'm flustered I can't control my temperament or am I out of control and that's you know not last thing you want is to you know be like Lewis Black but without the charm sort of thing and so that, that's what I'm really paranoid about it's very easy for people to just switch off because there's a lot of protests that happen around this country with indigenous people and the minute you put on a headband and you start yelling people just ignore you you just yeah. move on so I would never want to take away or let go of the attention that I've gotten by yeah by being charming and funny if I can do that I was just Maybe I'm just reading too much into it, but just comparatively to my to my friends that were on stage last night, I realised how much angrier I sounded. Yeah. I think that I didn't see your set because I rushed off after my set because I had been awake for 20 yeah, hours. But you have um, seen me on stage. I have <laughs> seen you on stage before. I don't think that... I think, I think you come across as very charming. I do think the anger shows through, but I also think that that's okay. Like, there's no one else on that stage who was like Cameron McLaren. There's no one else on stage who was like Jacques. There's no one else on her stage who was doing what I was doing or what Sean was doing yeah. or what you... Like you take it as your own flavour if you, if you like it. If you don't, well, do something different. No, I'm, I'm enjoying it, but um, I'm also curious, like, how, how much legs has that sort of an act got in Australia? Probably not much. Are you going to do Edinburgh? I, can, I don't think I can do it this year. Mm-hmm. If I do, it'll just be a free French show. But, um, Exciting. Oh, I'd love it. I'd prefer, I'd prefer it. But um, at this point, I'm just trying to figure out what I'm doing in the next two months as opposed to August. But I'll be leaving it quite late. Mm. But right, basically right now, I am in a uh, bit of a reset mode. I'm just trying to remember what my wife's face looks like. You know, <laughs> she didn't have to travel to Sydney to be a storyteller because she's successful at what she does. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, this is the difference between the biggest difference between me and my wife. We just went for a holiday in Vietnam. I don't know if I've told you this, but no. we went for a holiday in Vietnam. We went for a wedding. And the day before the wedding, my wife rescued two Polish tourists. And I say Polish because they didn't speak English and they didn't have much of a beach culture. And they were Polish, but they were um, where the issue came was they got swept out in a tide in the beach and in the, in, the, in the ocean. And they didn't know that you put your hand up in the air and wave it to signal that you're in distress. My wife actually, because I was taking turns watching the gear, all our bags and stuff. She was in the water. And two minutes out of sight, and I'd see Sarah's out in the ocean rescuing two people, both in headlocks, swimming them back towards the, the coast, right? She rescued two of these older people. They're both very heavy. She could, they could have dragged her under. She saved two people. And at the wedding, she got a mention in the wedding speeches for what she did. It was amazing. Everyone thought, she, yeah, she is. She's a, the toughest woman I know. She's, she's brilliant. I get a mention in the speeches because on the Bucks night, I ran across six lanes of traffic with no shirt on <laughs> in the middle of the night, declaring myself the Monkey King. <laughs> what? So, there's a big difference between the two of us as human beings. So, she's over here working in water, in the driest state, in the driest continent on the planet. She's creating water. She, you know, bringing it to people that don't have it and all sorts of stuff. And I am whinging that nobody wants to listen all the way through my set because I'm too angry but, um, yeah not even that no one wants to that you're worried I'm that worried no about it I'm worried about to. it <laughs> <laughs> I know what a piece of oh god what a yeah the minute she figures out how much better she can do I'm buggered but yeah no I think uh, you guys have a really lovely relationship um, where can people find you online Craig Waterman uh, I'm with uh, well jeez uh, I've got a obviously a Facebook comedian page I'm doing quite a few podcasts uh, with Frontier Entertainment so the mushroom they're pushing me at the moment which is great uh, yeah I, I used to have a pretty good presence but I don't really anymore I'm in transition uh, yeah Twitter is Craig Quartermain uh, CS Quartermain or um, yeah just look me up on Facebook Craig Quartermain Comedian and uh, yeah, I think a few cool things are coming up soon. Maybe I'll have a little bit more information to throw your way. Well, I'll have you back future. on then. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? No, I'm uh, making that transition to trying to get stuff developed for TV. Mm. And I don't know. That's another big issue. Am I setting myself up for failure by thinking I'm going to go 
do something no one else has done, even though probably hundreds of people have tried it before and failed. But where I'm, where we are in Western Australia, Screen West is a government-funded film body, and they produce a lot of good stuff. But um, I'm trying to make that leap from being a producer slash comedian to making my own content, and yeah. I'm I'm just entering another field now. I'm just thinking about how many more mistakes I'm going to make in the time to come. And it's a little bit scary, but exciting as well. And it's, I mean, it's like stand up too. It's like, will anybody actually want to watch what I've made? You won't know until you've made it. Yeah, great. No one's going to die. We're all going to die. I love that line, by the way. I love it. Someone got that tattoo, didn't you? Yes, they did. Yes. So you posted that. I was so amazingly moved by it. I had. Somebody proposed to their partner with the necklace, the no one's going to die, we're all going to die necklace, <laughs> and now I have a tattoo. I think I'm done, Craig. I think I've achieved... <laughs> you've, you've marked people. I've marked people. Well, this is the problem now, because I can't now fail, because otherwise that tattoo is going to be really embarrassing. Well, I think that's more on them. Like, you know, they committed to it, but that, that's... Well, what if I then get super successful and sell out? <laughs> and then it'll be embarrassing for them. And then it's just on T-shirts and it cheapens the tattoo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know that woman who does the incontinence pads ads? <laughs> this is her line. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Have you, have, have you been asked to be in any commercials or anything like that? I have one commercial. I'm normally quite wary of them uh, because I don't necessarily want to advertise things we'll that have I don't money, feel yeah. 100% well, comfortable about. Yeah. Also money. Ugh, gross. Icky. I'm allergic. <laughs> um, no, I did I did my first ad. It's on TV at the moment um, in Australia and on radio and stuff. It's for Australian avocados, which as far as like capitalism goes, <laughs> like they're not... You were worried about selling it <laughs> and your first commercial's for avocados. <laughs> I mean, look, Australian avocados, it's not international imports, so the carbon footprint's relevant. <laughs> I stand by it. I eat avocados every day. Just ate some just yeah, then. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Uh, so it is as far as like, and it's just my voice. I'm not, you know, standing there mashing avocados into my face. Oh, I did um, one voice commercial. And so I, I've actually had a fair bit of training through the um, broadcast, public broadcaster and everything. But my fun, I've only done one um, radio commercial. And it was this funny thing. It was supposed to be two Aboriginal guys in a car talking about uh, low, low, um, low interest loans from dodgy companies. Mm-hmm. And the greatest bit of advice. This is this is where I am. This is my issue. Is where I'm, how I am stuck in the middle in this this purgatory of Australian culture. Of um, uh, my producer halfway through the second take goes, Craig, look, it's good. You're doing all the lines really well. Um, can you do it a little less white? <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant. Like just, and I was like, no, I can't. This is, I'm not going to black it up. But I mean, I can do an accent, but oh, and promise me too, if you ever see me do an accent, like a black accent on stage, just disown me. All right, just disown me, because uh, that's that's. I've already broken a few rules. I said I'd never wanted to do race on stage and blew that out of the water. But um, yeah, there's there's this horrible thing where you've got to really explain who and what you are on stage before your jokes will work yeah and i do it to an extent (laughs) well this is yeah but i mean i would like to think that i'm aboriginal enough for for the content for the stuff that i put out but i mean yeah you don't have anything to prove i i should be aware of that shouldn't i i mean you're a good comedian you're a good comedian Without any disclaimers on it, yeah, and you're getting better. In 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 Europe, absolutely, it's great. Whereas here, yeah, I mean, maybe that's my own paranoia. Going to have a couple of gigs tonight at, um, you know, two two separate locations in Perth, and I'm really looking forward. Like, I'm going to push it a little bit, and um, a little bit more than usual. But I don't know. I just maybe it's it is definitely all in my head. Like you said. It's one of those ones. You had a gig last night where you can't blame the audience. I try my best to not blame blame the audience at all, but yeah, surely there are times where they just don't get it. Yeah. Surely. surely. Oh yeah. Sometimes you can blame the audience. I'm a big believer in blaming the audience when it's the audience's fault. Yeah. I yeah. I um. I do love hearing like when comics just decide, nah, that's it. No, it's definitely you guys. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few jokes that everyone has in the tank where you're like, this works every time. And if that doesn't work, 
guys, uh, you're wrong. A really, really good friend of ours. I've already mentioned him before, Sammy Shah. I remember him telling me about, it was like his second to last show in Melbourne and he just walked everybody in the room because he's like, no, fuck you. I've done this around the world. I know this works. This is definitely <laughs> just going out of And I, I love that. I appreciate that. I've never been in an audience. Walking the room is comedy speak for when everybody leaves. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, just, yes, absolutely. But then, yeah, then there are guys who do that, who do it as a badge of honor and they're actually just awful comics. Like there's just so many, that's what I do love about stand up. Like everything, every other workplace seems dull by comparison, like really dull. And I find it difficult to talk to people who don't have some form of comic inclination, which is terrible. My wife is so sweet. But when we go out and hang out with people, I, I feel bad that I'm not interested enough when we hang out with other other non-comedy people. It's, yeah, it's something she will never have a go at me over, but I know it annoys her. I think her. I'm a bit of a bulldozer with that stuff in that I'll just talk about what I want to talk about. <laughs> no, I, I mean, you know, if, if there's a, a subject that I'm not interested in or sure. there's a subject I'll sort of wait until... There's something in it that I'm interested in and then kind of dig into that and then yeah. dig my heels in and be like, no, 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 let's find out. You know, what do you really think? I, I imagine it's exhausting to be around. Yeah. Um, I don't like, I mean, small talk is fine when you're in the early stages of meeting anybody because you're just sort of, I'm a person, this is my face, this is the how my voice sounds, I'm non-threatening, getting all of that out of the way. But then I want to know what you think. I don't want to know where you went to school or what your favourite colour was. I want to know what your ideas are. Yeah. And again, I imagine that can be deeply unpleasant if you're not into that. It's, um, it, yeah. Yeah, I'm still figuring it out. My One of my favourite lines is of an Irvin Welsh book. Um, I think it was the sequel to Transporting Porno, I think it was called. Uh, uh, the, the kind of people that think a pregnant pause is a brilliant place to insert a sentence. <laughs> I, just, I, I actually do, like we do so much talking just in general. Like when I go on holidays, my favorite thing is when I, I can literally sit around for days and not speak. Yeah. It's great. I'm the worst housemate in that regard I just am I'm your ghost housemate <laughs> like if I'm at home I'm in my room reading a book that's great that's, I yeah I mean I never feel obligated to fill fill that void or, or, or speech and then then yeah I can come across quite yeah too solemn and just too quiet and just from my family where noise is an indication of happiness and it's just so weird. That's, that's I, yeah, I was definitely the odd You're one out in the family. You're saying you are an odd one out and also a comedian. Is that that you're in a sort of a middle I, ground I'm where you sometimes don't feel black enough and sometimes don't feel white enough, but also <laughs> your own family. <laughs> you're a little bit of a black... Sh is that real? Really? You know, this is, I, I don't like this patronising tone. <laughs> it's very unbecoming, Alice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're right. I must want to sound like such a crybaby. No, you're not know. a crybaby. I'm just saying that, like, of course you're a comedian. Of course you are. Yeah. But isn't it, there's a weird moment, too, though, as a comic where you're like, shit, I hope these aren't the only people I can communicate with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, God, that's a depressing thought. But I do I, I do love it when you, like, funny knows funny. I think Brendan, Brendan Burns told me that, is that funny knows funny. Nothing more brilliant than when, even if it's another comic, you might not get along. But when you meet someone, you sit back and you just click. And there's something, you know, it happened with us in a group. There was just a moment you sit up. It was just kind of like, yeah, cool. Like this person's not, not going to annoy me, I guess. Which is a very basic thing you can hope in someone is that they're not going to give you the shits. Yeah. Yeah. And then I wonder if I'm funny at all. But You should. You should totally be paranoid about it. So, just... <laughs> All right, Craig Quatermain, this is lovely. Let's go and do some Perth things. You're on. All right, I'll see you next week. You're having tea with Alice.
do you know? Oh, do you not? This dolphin mistress that we have got. Elsa Thompson, it is her name, and she helps the dolphins at every frame. Lousy rifle doll, lousy rifle day. On Monday morning, when she comes in, she hangs her coat on the highest pin. Turns around for to view her frames, crying, damn you, dolphins, cry up your ends. Lousy rifle doll, lousy rifle day. And when the boss, he looks round the door, tie our ends up, doffers, he will roar. Well, tie our ends up, we surely do, for Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Lousy rifle doll, lousy rifle day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away, is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Lolly rifle doll, lolly rifle day.